Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Happy Advent, everyone. Christmas is right around the corner. It is. Wendy and I did something yesterday that sounds related to Christmas, but it really wasn't. Well, yeah, you're right. We went shopping. (laughs) (laughs) Shopping is something I dread. Yeah, it's not Christopher's thing. No. It wasn't Christmas shopping. I just needed some clothes because I'm like my dad. I used to make fun of my dad when I was a kid because he had the same clothes for like 20 years. (laughs) And now I understand why he had the same clothes for 20 years. Because shopping was not something he loved either. And the clothes still work, but I kind of needed some clothes. And I was dreading the thought of going to these, we have these outlet mall things Mm -hmm. not too far from us. And I just dread the thought of going there by myself. So I called upon my helper, my... Ezra Konegdo, as the biblical expression has it, my helper comparable, my dear wife, and she came with me, and you made it much better, Wendy. I'm so thankful. I'm so glad I have a big smile right now as you're sharing this. And I actually found stuff. Story. Like, like that was the that was the gift. Yeah. I act, with your help, I actually found what I needed, got some new shirts, got some new jeans, got a new coat. Yeah. I've been dealing with inadequate winter wear for a long time and here we are telling the whole world about it for (laughs) whatever reason i do not know but this is what we tend to do at the beginning of a podcast talk about strange things because (laughs) it's just a window into life and other people have normal life too we have it too we have to get clothes sometimes and here we are and thank thank you lord that i think the point of sharing it is just my gratitude to you, Wendy, for being my helpmate in that mundane reality. Mm. I I needed your help, and you helped me, and I'm very grateful. And I'm wearing these new jeans right now, which I like. Oh, very good. <laughs> well, I'm happy to have helped you in that way. And now I want you to share with me and with our listeners any updates about the TOB Institute. TOB Institute. We have, as our faithful listeners know, a very exciting pilgrimage coming up in 2023. Mm -hmm. Wendy, why don't you tell people that? October 22nd to November 2nd? Am I right about that? Something like that. that. End of October into the beginning of November. Yes. We are um, going to France. The theme is St. Therese and the Little Way. And we're going to take our pilgrimage by means of a riverboat. So we're going to be cruising down the Seine River and visiting sites related to St. Therese. Yep, and we have a, if you want to do a little extension at the beginning, it'll start in Lourdes, and then we go, we're there for a few days, then we go to Paris and get on the riverboat in Paris and head to Les, Les, how do you say it? Lisieux. 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 And I'm going. That's very exciting to me. Yes, I can't wait to have you, Wendy. First pilgrimage that my wife is going on. It's kind of like an official... Ask Christopher West, hosted by Wendy West Podcast Cruise. There you go. So check out the link in the the notes. Uh, The cabins are already filling up. We have the whole boat to ourselves. Mm -hmm. There are only 45 cabins. They are filling up already. So if you are interested, check it out. We'd love to have you come. 
I also want to invite people to, if you've already taken TOB 1, it is not too late to register for Theology of the Body and the New Evangelization. Start the new year. Come to Pennsylvania. Start the new year uh, with me, and we're going to dive into the catechism wearing our TOB glasses. We're going to go from cover to cover in the catechism, all four sections, and the faith is going to come alive. Theology of the Body and the New Evangelization is at Black Rock Retreat Center here in Pennsylvania from January 1st to the 6th. We start on a Sunday night, and we end Friday at lunch. Great way to kick off the new year. Check out mm. the link for that as well. And if you come and you listen to our podcast, then you have to say hello to me and to Christopher and tell us that you're podcast listeners, because yes, we love do. to know and see the faces of those we're speaking to here. Yes, please do. Shall I share a question from Let's one of our it. patrons? Let's do it. This question is from Father Vaughn. Hello, Father Vaughn. Thank you for your podcast. It is helping me to become the gift that I am. Oh, that's good. That's yeah, good. yeah. He listens to the end. That's right. <laughs> a friend contacted me saying in a homily at her church, the homilist said, it is a mortal sin for a woman to deny her husband his marital rights. Oh, dear Lord. She asked me about this. I had never heard it put this way before in terms of mortal sin. Oh, dear Lord. And it felt wrong to me. How can someone be forced under constraint of mortal sin to give the gift of self to another? On the other hand, if it is called marital rights, a term I've never used before, the virtue of justice seems to be involved. Bottom line, I'm not sure how to answer my friend beyond my gut reaction. Father Vaughn, I share your gut reaction. Uh, I this, this idea, of course, it, it comes from a mis- application of St. Paul's words, where St. Paul says, um, you know, that the spouses are are called to, to render the marital debt, that the, the wife doesn't have power over her own body, the husband does, the husband doesn't power, have power over his own body, but the wife does, and they are to render that marital debt or that marital right. It gets translated in, in different ways. But this simply cannot be taken out of the overall context of the call to love as Jesus loves, right? And that love is a love that is free, that is a love that is total, faithful, and fruitful. All of these are integral to what marital love is. If we want to talk about marital rights, the spouse, each spouse has the right to be loved as Christ loves. And to interpret this rendering the marital debt or the marital right in any way that imposes some kind of uh, a dreaded obligation, like if you don't if you don't do X, Y, and Z, you're under guilt of mortal sin. Uh, this is as you have the right gut reaction there, Father Vaughn. Something is off there. Now, let's look at it from another angle and say that one of the beautiful gifts of married life is the two becoming one flesh. And I could imagine a circumstance in which out of spite or out of some kind of disdain or or some error in the person's thinking about the role of the sexual relationship in marriage, that one could deny the sexual embrace in a sinful way. That's a possibility. But if we are to talk about 
marital rights, we have to understand it in the context of marital love, because each spouse has the right to be loved by the other properly and in a sacred way, in a reverential way. If if one spouse were to say, uh, you can't say no to having sex tonight because it's your obligation under mm-hmm. every circumstance to say to to agree that we're gonna have sex. This is not just this is this is just not human. This is not human relationship. This is not a person with a person. This is someone with a need who who is demanding something of the other in a way that is not honoring of the other person's freedom and humanity, and who knows whatever circumstance might be entirely legitimate for, on a given occasion, not being able to engage in the marital act. So, yes, Father, I share your gut reaction and concern, and it, I don't think it's in any exaggeration to say that the personalistic approach of St. John Paul II would abhor any interpretation of the marital right that would in any way violate the the freedom and dignity of the person. So I, I think we've, we've answered that same kind of question, even recently, if yes, I recall correctly. I think that episode when we recorded in the studio, remember we put it on both our podcast and on YouTube. Oh, on, on YouTube, right. There, there was a similar question. That's right, there was question. a similar, that was maybe yes. two months ago. Mm-hmm that we had a similar question. So you might want to check out our, maybe I gave a fuller answer on the, on our YouTube channel. Yeah. Uh, You could check that out. Yeah. Wendy, did you want to add anything to that? Just that I'm, I'm grateful for father Vaughn's gut reaction because, you know, here he is a priest and, um, you know, he's, encountering something that another priest has said and there could be a desire to somehow cover for that person or try to agree and i i'm just grateful for the sensitive heart that father von has to to be cautious about this statement um, and to want to affirm that that this is a concerning thing and it is is painful to think of all whoever was hearing that homily or whoever is getting advice from the person who gave that homily, just there's a a deep, deep suffering that can occur in people that the Lord, the Lord loves everyone. He loves these people who are getting these wrong impressions. And that is very, very painful. So I'm, I guess, inspired, and I'm sure Father Vaughn is as well, to pray for all those who are hearing that to know their their dignity and not to perceive god as so um heartless yeah he's not yeah it's it's tragic when people use scripture verses to justify are their own concupiscence their own disordered desires because that that's the way that's most often applied uh someone who can't control himself and is demanding sex from one spouse, uh, what is really required here is not that the spouse give in to the demands of one who can't control himself or herself, but what is demanded is that the one who can't control himself or herself gain self-mastery so that he or she can be a true gift to the other. Mm. That comes only through freedom. And if we're going to talk about marital rights, every spouse has the right to be loved in that way. So... I think we've said enough about that at this juncture. The next question from another um, listener. It's unusual because I showed it to Christopher beforehand, and typically he 
hasn't seen any of the questions before we record. So in this case, he did, um, because I wanted him to have a chance to look at an article that was sent by a podcast listener. So Andy said um, this, you, you may have seen this recent article from STAT entitled, After Decades of Setbacks, Scientists Make Strides Toward the Holy Grail of Male Birth Control. I have read and listened to much of your teaching on Theology of the Body over the years, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this particular article. Yes, I went to the website to to try to read this article, and you had to get through some paywall or something to read the whole thing, so I was only able to read the first paragraph. But I want to comment on the title and on a photograph on the website uh, where this article was. So again, the title of the article, After Decades of Setbacks, Scientists Make Strides, catch this phrase, Toward the Holy Grail of Male Birth Control. A male contraceptive pill is what they're talking about here. Look at the, the, the this is horrifying. If we understand the sacred mystery of human sexuality, the sacramental mystery of human sexuality, and its relationship to the Eucharist, right? Remember Ephesians chapter 5, the union of man and woman in one flesh is a great mystery, and it refers to Christ and the Church. The holy communion of the marriage bed is a great mystery, and it refers to the holy communion of Christ and the Church consummated in the Eucharist. In this picture, under this head, under this title, the Holy Grail of male birth control, what's the Holy Grail? It's the, the chalice that Christ used at the Last Supper. So they have a picture of a chalice, and in the center of the chalice, they, they have uh, what looks like an egg surrounded by a shield, like a woman's ova, ovum. Ovum is singular, right? It is. Right. Thank you, grammar lady. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they have a picture. <laughs> uh, my wife is really good at grammar, and I try to be as good as she is. Okay. They have a picture of a chalice, and in the, in the chalice is a picture of an ovum surrounded by a shield, and they have all these sperm swimming to the chalice. Oh, my Lord. The blasphemy here. Why? Because we're talking about a contraceptive pill for men. And what would that do? That would render the sacrament of the marriage bed, right? Marriage is the sacrament per se, but the marriage bed is an expression of that sacramental mystery that is marriage. It is sacramental in that sense, and the sacramentality of the marriage bed would be rendered an anti-sacrament by rendering the sexual act sterile. A male contraceptive pill, like a female contraceptive pill, is when we understand the true theology of the marital embrace, it turns the sacrament into a sacrilege. And here they are just parading this idea that this male contraceptive pill is the holy grail. What what the what good God Almighty, this is a a horrific blasphemy. And I think we can, we can really draw out the, the insight of the Church's teaching here 
on the holiness and sacredness of sex by looking at how unholy this idea is of con the contraceptive pill for men as a holy grail. What is the chalice? What is the chalice in the symbol of what happens in the Eucharist? The priest comes to the marriage bed of the altar. That's how the church has always understood the altar, as a kind of marriage bed. The priest comes to the marriage bed of the altar, symbolizing the bridegroom, right? The gift of, of the life-giving seed comes through his body. Where does a man train to be a priest? He trains in the seminary. Why? Because the role of the priest is to give the spiritual seed that leads to the new life of the bride. So we're going to see at the marriage bed of the altar the symbol of the bridegroom and the priest, and we're going to see the symbol of the bride where, yes, the congregation is the bride, but right there at the altar, the chalice is the symbol of the bride. Notice that the priest carries the chalice to the altar, the marriage bed, veiled. There's a veil over the chalice. And then the priest places the chalice on the altar, the marriage bed, and unveils the chalice. Where do we get the word chalice? We get the word chalice. It shares the, the same root as the calyx of a flower, right? The chalice is shaped as a flower, if you've ever noticed this. Calyx is, what's the calyx of a flower? The calyx of the flower is the, the, the green leaves under the petals that open those petals to the light of the sun. And what happens when those petals get opened by the calyx? The dew, the dew comes onto the petals of the flower and then goes down into the cup of the flower to moisten the flower to enable the whole process of fertility in the flower. So, in the Eucharist, grace perfects nature. The flower is always the symbol of the bride, and there that flower is on the altar, the calyx, the chalice, and what does the priest pray? Let the Holy Spirit come upon these gifts like the dewfall. Here we have grace perfecting nature. For what purpose? So that the fertility of nature present there in bread and wine, right? Fruit of the earth, work of human hands. Fruit of the vine, work of human hands. The fruit of the earth, the fruit of the vine, nature's fertility. Grace perfects nature's fertility, and the fertility of the earth and the fertility of the vine become the fertility of Mary's womb. And yes, yes, all of this is symbolized also in the marriage bed when the husband and wife become one flesh and surrender their bodies to the Lord and giver of life, the Holy Spirit, to render the act sterile. I've shared this on previous episodes of the podcast, I'm sure. To render the act sterile is a kind of anti-epiclesis. The epiclesis is the moment in any sacrament where the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, is called upon, right? The epiclesis of the Eucharist is, let the Holy Spirit come upon these gifts like the dewfall, right? To render the sexual act sterile, 
is to engage in a kind of anti-epiclesis. We don't want the Holy Spirit, we don't want the Lord and giver of life to be part of this act. So that's what struck me as so horrifically blasphemous in this image and this idea of the male contraceptive pill as the Holy Grail. I don't think it could be more diabolical than that. Mm. I think it's so interesting the uh, whoever wrote the title to this article is calling on sort of literary images of maybe, you know, searching for um, holy relics during the Middle Ages or mm -hmm. something like that, you know, kind of an image of something elusive, long sought, thought to yes, have magical yes. power, that yes, kind of yes. imagery. And then, you know, puts that in the title and then we get this graphic and yet it's so telling the graphic is like it just pierces the heart when you know the holiness of the chalice and that that image that is in the article showing this kind of glowing chalice but it's glowing for all the wrong reason right right, right. for the for the prevention of life instead of the source of life so i think there's almost like a a coincidence or a, like a, an irony or something that that was chosen and yet it has a profound significance. Yeah. yeah, the diabolical logic of it is abundantly clear yeah. for those with eyes to see. Uh, and it it's kind of like a an apocalyptic moment, meaning apocalypse means unveiling. And in a certain biblical sense of the word apocalypse, is the unveiling of the deception of the enemy. And for those with eyes to see, this graphic in this article of, of sperm chasing a chalice, uh, but being blocked from getting to the egg, uh, that's an apocalypse. That's an unveiling for those with eyes to see of the real work of the enemy behind what contraception actually is. Woo! Lord, Lord, give us eyes to see. And I, I want to hold out to any listener out there. Maybe you're tuning into our podcast for the first time. Maybe you're hearing this idea for the very first time. This is not being said to scold or shame or wag fingers at anybody. It's said to turn the lights on so that we can see what is really going on behind this contraceptive deception. If the marital embrace is what St. Paul says it is, a great mystery that is meant to convey and communicate the great mystery of Christ's love for the church, then really and truly to tinker with the sexual act, to rob it intentionally of its life-giving power, what we're really saying is Christ doesn't want to give new life to the church. That's the theological math of contracepted intercourse when we understand the theology of the body. The, 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 the math, the theological math of contracepted intercourse is Christ doesn't want to give life to the church, and the church doesn't want to conceive the life of Christ. And that's blasphemous. That is antithetical to, to the truth of who we are, the truth of who Christ is, the truth of who the church is. We're saying this not to shame anybody or scold anybody. 
We're saying this to turn the lights on, to invite people to another way of seeing who they really are, seeing the great dignity, the wonder, the beauty, the glory, the meaning of our creation as male and female in the image of God. If you have been contracepting, if you have been caught up in this lie that the culture has been promoting, we invite you to go to confession. Find a priest who believes what the church teaches. It's sad I even have to say that, but I do. Find a priest who believes what the church teaches and go to confession. As far as the East is from the West, so is that sin from you. Uh, don't be afraid, I'll often say, of admitting a million sins in the confessional. Be afraid only of the sin that doesn't admit sin, the rationalization of sin, because that's the only sin that can't be forgiven when we rationalize our sin and pretend it's not a sin. There is grace poured out in the sacraments, and the grace that will come to your marriage by letting that open flow of the Holy Spirit come to your marriage bed. This is how grace comes. And really and truly, it's, it's accurate to say, to render the sexual act sterile is to block the flow of grace in one's marriage, in one's sacrament of marriage. Open those channels of grace. That does not mean you're called to have 20 children, right? That would open another whole category of talking about Church is teaching on natural family planning. Why is that accepted? Why is contraception not? What's the difference? And I'll pause here because we have other questions to get to, and I've answered that question many times on the podcast before, and I'll point people to the book Good News About Sex and Marriage, where there's a whole chapter that gets into all of that. But please, I invite you, press into the Church's teaching here. The Church is sound in her wisdom. The Church is a loving mother who desires our great, great good. Our next question is from an anonymous listener who says, Why do you think the genitals are located in such close proximity or share the same location as our excretion pathways? Even though I know sex is holy and it isn't dirty, this physiological fact has me hung up and kind of grossed out. I have extended my engagement over it because my headspace is not right to be entering marriage. Do you have any insights that might help me reframe my mind? Oh, bless you, bless you, dear listener. I, I, I have, my heart just goes out to this person. Mm. Um, it is a question I have pondered. I mean, this is my world. This is the... The, what I've given my life to, pondering these mysteries of the body, and it it is uh, an interesting phenomenon to say that this sacred life, and not just to say it, but to acknowledge this is the design of the body, that this sacred life-giving power of the body is so closely associated with the escritic, I can't even say the word. Excretory. Thank you. Excretory functions of our body. And and yes, they can be less than pleasing functions. <laughs> uh, that, that is just a fact. That's a fact of fact of life. And we can have a kind of association of our genitals and our excretory functions that make us go, ew, or gross, or yuck. Lord, Lord, shine your light on our bodies. 
shine your light on our bodies. There is, here we are approaching Christmas, and I'm reminded of a, a tweet that went out a few years ago by a Muslim. And he, it was something like this. Uh, imagine, uh, he, was, he was saying, speaking from his perspective about the blasphemy of the Incarnation. That's his perspective as a Muslim. And he said, imagine a God who had to be cleaned by his mother because he soiled himself. Imagine a God who urinated on himself and defecated on himself and needed to be cleaned up, right? Praised is Allah above those Christian lies, went this tweet. And the, the scripture that came to my heart as I read that tweet was, blessed are those who take no offense at me. This Muslim was exactly right that this is what the Incarnation implies. Uh, we believe in a God who wore diapers and soiled himself. We believe in a God who took flesh in, in all of its manifestations. And in taking flesh, God revealed to us that every single thing about the body is holy. That means our excretory functions too. And if I may say so, I just can't resist. Can't resist. I hope, <laughs> I hope people can, can hear, me, hear me out here. It gives a whole new sense to the expression, holy shit. <laughs> I mean, seriously. The Incarnation has sanctified everything about the human body. Everything. Blessed are those who take no offense at me, the incarnate Christ says. I'm thinking of another scripture, and I'd invite the listener to pray into this. I believe it's Luke chapter 11, where Jesus says, bring every part of your body into the light, and let no part of your body remain in darkness. For if you bring every part of your body into the light, and have no part of your body remain in darkness, your whole body will shine brilliantly like a lit lamp, illuminating the meaning of your life. So there's, there's something to be said here. There is the whole body is theological, and that includes our excretory functions. And I often draw a connection between, you know, excreting and going to confession, right? We even use language like this. Like my spiritual director will often talk about the, the spiritual crap in my life. And he'll say, Christopher, you got to get it out. You got to get it out. That's what the confessional's for. Get it out. Get that spiritual crap out. When we don't get the spiritual crap out of us, we become spiritually constipated. And let's just apply that, that metaphor or that analogy that physical constipation, you know, that, that can be really, really detrimental to your entire health. Your whole blood system could become toxic if you don't eventually 
get what's constipated out of you, right? Mm. When we don't go to confession for 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 years, for months, for years, we become spiritually constipated. Thank you, God. You, I mean, when you're constipated and you finally get it out, you can like praise the Lord for your excretory functions. Praise God every day. I mean, let's not get to the point where you're constipated. Let's praise. We should and can praise God every day for the fact that our excretory functions are functioning. Because it keeps us healthy, it keeps us it keeps us in the mm. right place in in bodily health. Uh, spiritually speaking, we can say the same. There are excretory functions. We gotta get the crap, the spiritual crap, out of us, and and that can help us to rejoice uh, in in these parts of our bodies in an, in a new way. And they are inextricably and mysteriously intertwined with the life giving functions. If we allow the Lord into those places, bringing every part of our body into the light, saying, Lord, show me. Show me the meaning of my body here. Show me how I can rejoice in the way you've created my body. We, we have a lot of issues here, in, especially in, uh, I don't know where this person is writing from. I'm speaking as an American, and there's kind of a puritanical heritage in America that is really, really um, uncomfortable with bodily functions. Uh, I have a brother who lived in Africa for uh, a long time, and I remember when he came back from Africa, and he described the, the, the how would I say it, the toilet habits, but I, I, that's not even the right expression because they don't have toilets. Mm -hmm. they would, there was just a part of the town where everybody went to excrete and there were no walls, there were no barriers. People would just squat and do their business, and there'd be other people right there doing their business. It was kind of shocking to me and my sensibilities, but it, it got me thinking about how kind of uptight we are about these aspects of our bodies. I just invite the listener and all our listeners, and myself included, I'll put myself on this list, Lord, show me the goodness of my body here and help me to be okay with the fact that you've made me this way and that this is a good sign of a good, healthy, functioning body, and there's no need to be wigged out or grossed out that this is part of being human. And Lord, you took on our full humanity in the incarnation, and you made it all holy. Mm. Heal me, Lord. Show me. Maybe I have really painful memories from being potty trained or wetting my bed, or who knows what some of the origins of some of our hang-ups might be here. But this is true. Between here and the beatific vision, we must come to terms with all aspects of our humanity and see them as God sees them. So we can begin that journey now. Yeah, I, I, as you were talking about that, I couldn't help but be thinking both about my experiences being a mother, and because you were talking about babies, but also being a nurse. And, you know, it's kind of a... a it even had the word physiological in it. I mean, it certainly gets into that realm that having studied nursing and been a nurse, I can't help but think about um, and give thanks for God's design of our bodies. Um, as you were talking about the kind of health consequences of not having our bodies function properly. Um, and, and I guess in that sense, it inspires a gratitude for God's design um, that we maybe need to nurture if we've kind of absorbed things in our lives 
uh, attitudes like you have to take care of all of that yourself quickly as mm-hmm. clean and cleanly mm-hmm. as possible. It's very private. You know, you should never need help here. You should never um, expose your excretory functioner in any way or that's somehow disgusting. Like we kind of can have absorbed some pretty intense yes. attitudes yes. that are maybe we manage them okay in our lives, but they are probably a little bit, they speak of a certain unwillingness to be vulnerable here. Um, And when you're a mother or a father or when you're a doctor or a nurse or in some other way encountering neediness and vulnerability in that regard of just managing our body's functions, there's um, a sense of just respect for the person and sort of the honor it is to be welcomed into caring for a person in that way. And so I think there can be, for me anyway, there is a certain connection in um, that sense of vulnerability that is connected to excretion and the vulnerability connected to marital union. And, And I, maybe I just feel that because of my background i don't know but i i feel like there could be something meaningful there if we kind of get under well why is that gross and how do i feel about my body and my fiance's body and and can i see that as an access point for intimacy somehow wow yeah imagine i don't have to imagine we know people who whose spouses have been in an accident or had some disease or some particular physical need where the spouse has to clean them sure. in in because they're not able to yeah. clean themselves mm-hmm. and that is an aspect of such need and vulnerability right. where yes we need to know we're loved that much mm-hmm. and can be loved that much and can show that much love and what an honor it is. I, I have learned so much from you, Wendy, in what you gained being a nurse and your comfortableness with bodilyness that I didn't have in the same way when we first got married. And you were working as a nurse when I was in graduate school and the stories you would come home and share. And uh, your reverence for the body there is, has been so healing for me. And I, I have been the recipient of that deep reverence you have for the body. And I'm all the better for it. And it's brought a lot of healing to me. And I, I hear in this person's question a need for, for healing. And I want to invite you to know how tender the Lord is with you in your own need here. This is a vulnerable place in you. And the Lord is so tender there. Um, I, I even have an image here of the Blessed Mother being so tender with this person. And, and maybe even the image is allowing, maybe take to prayer this idea of that you're just an infant and you've soiled yourself and you're allowing the Blessed Mother, your mother, to, to clean you 
to to come and show you how much she honors your body there and and sees you in that vulnerable place and and loves you there uh, i i have experienced this myself in my own prayer life um it was an image for me it was an image of soiling myself was an image of my own sin and the image that came to me in prayer was the blessed mother cleaning up my sin and and i'm not saying necessarily that that your discomfort here is is a matter of sin per se but there is probably some wound in your heart that the blessed mother and the lord himself want to be channels of grace for you in bringing peace and healing and be not afraid to allow yourself to be vulnerable there mm. and let the Lord or let the Blessed Mother, however it may come to you in prayer, let them come and, and clean you, heal you, show you how much they honor your vulnerability there. Bless you, bless you, bless you, dear person. Yes. Just as a final thought, I'm, I'm also thinking of one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 139. That is so beautiful talking about um, how intimately the Lord knows us and mm. how mm. wonderfully made we are. It's a it's a thanksgiving for the wonder of our bodies. And I just want to hold that out as also a possible aid to praying through this, this wrong headspace to get in touch with the Lord's uh, beautiful design. I love it. Love it. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you for all of our listeners and how we are all fearfully and wonderfully made. If you have enjoyed listening to this episode today and it has blessed you, hit that share button and share it with someone else who would be blessed by it as well. Keep the questions coming, everybody. We love being part of this with you and for you. You bless us and we hope we are blessing you. May you know it in your bones that you are fearfully you are a fearfully and wonderfully made gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.